We're going to conclude our series of sermons on the commands of Jesus. How are y'all doing today? Good. Good to see you here. Our series of uh, sermons on the commands of Jesus, and it's, once again, one of the last things Jesus says before he departs. And um, it has to do with the Holy Spirit. Receive God's power is what he says. And it's recorded in two places, the end of Luke and the first of Acts. When you realize that Luke wrote both of those, just separated by the Gospel of John, it's at the end of Luke and the first of Acts. So it must have been pretty important. It's a, it's a, a transition between the Gospel of Jesus and the history of the early church. And uh, that transition, the Holy Spirit uh, plays an important role. Acts 24, 46 to 49, and Acts 1, 6 through 11, the sermon is entitled, Receive God's Power. Receive His power. That's a command. You and I are not supposed to walk around uh, just helpless, vulnerable weaklings subject to every um, passing fad that comes along. We are to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and live and act and serve and minister and go in that power. Wherever we go, whatever we do, Jesus is with us through the Holy Spirit. And, and as he is leaving, he said, receive it and act in accordance with that. And be strong in the Lord because his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Acts, I mean, Luke 24 verse 46 says this. He said to them, this is among the last things. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Doesn't that sound like um, the beginning of Acts 1? Beginning in Jerusalem, you're witnesses of these things and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So that's Jesus' instructions. You'll be clothed with power from on high. Now skip over to Acts chapter 1. I'm just going to start reading in verse 1, and then you'll catch up in verse 6. In the first book, O Theophilus, so the first book is what? It's Luke. He's writing about the first book he wrote. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So Jesus is ascending to heaven after being on earth for 40 days. 
and he is preparing his followers for his absence by the promise of the Holy Spirit. And you shall receive God's power when that Holy Spirit comes. And incidentally, that Holy Spirit has come and he is here with us. And you don't have to wait for a second anointing or a second filling of the Holy Spirit. When you invite Jesus into your heart and he cleanses you and forgives you of your sins, he comes in. And how does he come in? In the form of the Holy Spirit. So he's in you now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have received the Spirit and his power. So let's act like it. Let's bow together. Father, as we come today, just to think about the Holy Spirit and his coming in power at Pentecost and, and what that meant and what that means today. God, we live, so many of us live such defeated frightened, vulnerable lives, um, just subject to every whim of Satan that comes along and feel so, so vulnerable to that. Remind us that your Holy Spirit is with us and you commanded us to receive him. And when Jesus comes in, he comes in in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is in us. And so, Father, we just pray that Spirit would fill us and we would remove any obstacle, we would remove uh, any, any problem that keeps Him from living in fullness in our lives so that you could live and work and act freely in our midst, now and always. Amen. There seems to be so many more sermons about the coming of Jesus than about His leaving. We talk about the second coming, you'll hear sermons about that all the time and what that, that's gonna be like, but so few sermons about his departure. I guess, I guess we don't wanna think, you know, go through life people thinking our heads are in the clouds or something like that, but how Jesus left and what happened in that interim period while we're waiting for him to come again is crucial for how we live and believe and act as Christians. As I mentioned, Luke wrote both these things and the close of his gospel and the opening of Acts are, are closed tightly together. He says, in the first book, referring to his gospel, Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Here's the chronology. After Easter, Jesus was on the earth for 40 days. It says here for 40 days, he was, uh, verse 3, Alive after his passion, many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. What was he saying about the kingdom of God? That it was here. It's not something that's coming. It's already here. It's already among you. It is already beginning to grow. You don't always know how it's growing. It's like leaven growing um, in, a, in a loaf of bread. It's, it's like something small, like a mustard seed that begins to take root and sprout. But that kingdom of God is here. And what we have to do is just allow it to grow and encourage it. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's already here and it's already beginning to grow. So Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God these 40 days. And then he ascends up into heaven. And then his disciples separate themselves for about 10 days. Why? To pray. They are praying for 10 days. And then at 50 days... 40 plus 10, 50 days is when the Holy Spirit falls on them at Pentecost. 
So that's where the word Pentecost comes from. And incidentally, this year it falls on May 15th, which is two weeks from today. So we're still in that 40-day period uh, after the, the ascension. Um, no, the 40 days when Jesus is on the earth. And then there'll be 10 days of prayer. And then the Holy Spirit came according to the scripture. So he came in power. And we rarely talk about this, as I said. We always talk about the second coming, but we never talk about his leaving. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. And Luke records that twice. And I, I remember in seminary, and, and in English literature too, anything that's at the end of something or at the beginning of something is there for a special reason. It's there for emphasis. It's there because it's important. And so Luke includes it at the end of his gospel and the beginning of Acts. Because it's important to talk about the Holy Spirit. What does it teach us? What does it tell us? I have just simple things in your worship bulletin and outline. Why is it important? He says it's important because, first of all, he'll give us something to do. Verse 1 of Acts 1. And I've just realized this recently. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Why does it say he began to do and teach? It doesn't say all the things that Jesus did and taught. It doesn't say all the things that Jesus finished doing and teaching. It says the things that he began to do, which means what? That is something that's supposed to be ongoing. It's something that's continuing. We're supposed to continue the ministry that Jesus began. He began to do and teach it. We continue it. So anytime we um, minister in Jesus' name, anytime we teach or preach or baptize or visit or minister or help someone or share the gospel, what are we doing? We are continuing the minister, the, the ministry that Jesus began. He began it. He left us here. He gave us the Spirit to continue it. When I came to Tifton um, several years ago now, um, I came a few months before we moved the house. We hadn't sold our house in South Carolina. We hadn't bought one here in Tifton yet. But I moved in a U-Haul my library and kind of set up things in the study before Susan and Catherine came with all the furniture. So I have a lot of books. I bought a lot of books in seminary. Susan got real frustrated with me about that. I would get paid at the little church I was serving, and I'd go by the Baptist bookstore and, and buy books and try to sneak them in. Uh, but she'd always find them, and she'd say, are we going to eat those? Are we going to sit on those? You know, I'm hungry, and, you, and you're spending all your money on books. But anyway, I had a pretty good library. And uh, getting ready to move it, and I had some guys from my church who volunteered to help. And I went to the store, Piggly Wiggly, I think, and got a bunch of banana boxes. Have you ever seen a banana box? It's really sturdy, but it's got a hole in the bottom of it. And all my books kept falling out the bottom of the box. I wouldn't recommend using banana boxes. But anyway, while we, right after we started unloading the library and moving it into the U-Haul, I got a call from the hospital. And so... I said, guys, i got to get to the hospital. So I went to the hospital and left them there working. And it really was a call. I mean, I'm not just making that up. Um, so I get to the hospital. About an hour and a half later, I come back, and they're sitting on the back steps of the church. And I'm going, oh, no. It was, it was more than they wanted to do. They got tired. They got frustrated because I wasn't here helping them. I feel so bad. 
And I went into my study and it was empty. And I'm going, how did you guys move all these books from my study down the hallway, out the exit, around the back where I had to, I'd back the U-Haul truck up to? And they said, we didn't do it that way. He said, we opened the window and passed everything out the window and the truck was just right outside the window of my study. I went, oh. That's pretty smart. Must have had some engineers among them. Um, and I thought about that as being kind of the way Jesus left us to work for him. The task, when you look at it from the outset, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That sounds monumental, doesn't it? But when you realize he's left us the Holy Spirit, it becomes manageable. Not because we find a shortcut like those guys did who were passing the books out the window as they dropped out of the bottom of the box, but because the Holy Spirit is with us. We can go and do those things. Anytime we do anything in his name, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the, the nursing home or the prison, um, telling anybody about Jesus, anytime we minister in Jesus' name, he is with us. Always. And, and that, that brings me to the second point. Not only do we have something to do because he began it, we continue it until he comes again or calls us home. Secondly, he gave us someone to help. He gave us someone to help because he knew we couldn't do it alone. And I'm telling you folks, until we realize that truth, we're just going to keep beating our head against a wall doing the impossible because he, has, he knew we couldn't do it by ourselves. And that's why he left the Holy Spirit to help us. He never expected us to do it alone. He never asked, uh, he never commanded us to do it alone. He wants, he wants to partner with us. He wants to partner with his people. And so we read passages like from the, the Old Testament, Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. When we get to the great commission, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What are we told over and over again in Scripture? Is that God is with us. God is with us. I remember talking to a, a prospective staff member years ago. He was coming and he was interviewing and he didn't have a lot of experience. Didn't have, uh, didn't have a lot of training. And I said, what makes you think you're qualified. And he said something I've never forgotten. I think somebody told him to say this. He said, because whom God calls, he equips. God never calls us or asks us or expects us to do anything that he's not going to equip us to do. He doesn't call us to fail. He calls us to step out in faith and believe and trust and serve. And if we only do the things that we think we can do, we'll never accomplish anything great for the kingdom of God. 
But when we begin to step outside our comfort zone, when we step outside our experience and our knowledge and our past, when we begin to believe that God can do it, that's when we get into that realm of faith, knowing that if God calls us to do something, he's going to empower us and enable us and equip us to do it. We don't have to rely on our own strength anymore. I never told Catherine the truth of this story until recently, but I think it illustrates the truth of what I'm trying to say pretty well. Years ago, once again in South Carolina, it was 1994, Catherine was four years old, um, a great storm came through Marion, which was the town where I was pastor of the Baptist church there. It wasn't Hugo. Hugo came in 1989. You remember Hurricane Hugo? This was a few years later. It was another storm, and trees were down all over town. Pine, had a lot of pine trees, kind of like here. All over town, trees were down. And it must have been on a Thursday or Friday, because on the Saturday, um, Susan's mom and stepdad lived about a block away from us, and, and we didn't have many trees down in our yard, but they had a bunch of trees down in their yard. And I had a chainsaw from Hugo. My cousin had gotten me a chainsaw, and I considered myself a chainsaw man, and Susan said, please don't, please don't crank that. You'll cut a leg off. You know, she had no confidence that I knew what I was doing, and I really didn't. But uh, that Saturday, I took my chainsaw and went down to my father-in-law's house and began helping clean up the yard. And uh, had my chainsaw and, and worked most of the day. I couldn't do that today, but I could back then. Most of the day, running my chainsaw, and Catherine's inside the kitchen, looking out the kitchen window, watching. So she sees me cutting up this tree. What she didn't know was that the city of Marion had some heavy equipment that was coming through town, helping people clean up their yards, and there was a backhoe that this guy, city employee, had. And uh, I had begun cutting on this tree, and he took this backhoe, and he lifted it up so I could start cutting on the other side. Well, Catherine didn't see the backhoe. All she, all she saw me do was take this tree and with my hand lift it up a little bit and kind of guide it so I could begin cutting on the other side. And after I finished that cut, I went inside and Catherine said, Daddy, I saw you lift that tree. You are really strong. I said, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I am. Thanks. And I thought about that. Because in the same way, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. People don't always see him. But I'm telling you, I see people do things every day that I know they could never do under their own power. I know they couldn't do by themselves. And the reason, the only reason they're able to do it, because the Holy Spirit. How do you think Chris and Katie Knowles can live in Tete, Mozambique? It's not because of their, their own capabilities. The Holy Spirit is empowering them and enabling them to serve in one of the most difficult environments to tell people about Jesus. It's not, it's not, them that, it's not they that are doing it. It's the Holy Spirit that is empowering them to do that. Whom God calls, he equips, and he enables us to do things we could never do under our own steam and our own power. 
He gave us something to do. He gave us someone to help because he knew we couldn't do it by ourselves. And finally, he's giving us somewhere to go. Because when he talks about ascending, he says over and over again, I'm going, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also, John 14. So he's going on ahead to get things ready, so one day he will receive us unto himself. Oftentimes in the Bible, the Bible a lot of times in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, it looks back to the past to remember things because we are so forgetful. You know, you face an obstacle in the beginning, oh God, how am I going to, what in the world? We got? And the reason why you panic like that is because you've already forgotten all the times that God's been faithful and he's helped you. So over and over again in the Bible, it tells us to remember something in the past. The Exodus, over and over again in the Old Testament, um, God is telling the children, remember how Moses led you through the wilderness and brought you to the promised land. They repeat that over and over again because we are so prone to forgetfulness. When Joshua was, was leading the children of Israel over into the promised land, they set up 12 stones as a reminder that uh, why, why these stones? Because this is what God did for us when he rescued us and delivered us and brought us over into the promised land. Even Jesus, when we were doing the Lord's Supper, he says, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me and my sacrifice. So there are a lot of things that God wants us to remember because it will encourage us and we'll realize that the things we're doing today aren't that different. God's been faithful in the past. But he also tells us not only to look to the past, he also tells us to anticipate the future. He's given us somewhere to go. He's given us something to look forward to. And you and I have become so comfortable and complacent in the present, we've already forgotten the past. And so we panic when bad things happen. And we've forgotten what God's already done. And we forget to look forward to what lies ahead. I think sometimes children and the childlike are the quickest to catch on to the kind of joy that anticipation of somewhere to go should bring us. There's a story about a little boy who was coming off the ball field after their 11th loss in a row. Sounds like the Braves, doesn't it? But uh, he had a big hat on, it was bouncing, and his glove was limp, it was hanging, and everything was big. And an adult said, son, I know you must be really discouraged having just lost your 11th game in a row. He said, no, sir, I don't care if we lose them all as long as we still win the championship. <laughs> the good news is we've already won the championship. We have already won it. And it occurred on the cross and three days later with the resurrection. So it doesn't matter what happens uh, to us in the meantime. God's already won. The championship is over. And uh, we, we might sustain some losses along the way, but the championship has already been won. 
An elderly lady understood that too. Not only the, the, the child, the children, but also the childlike. Just, you know, when you get older, I think your faith gets even more simple. And one day her young daughter was visiting her at the nursing home. And the daughter wanted to talk. But the, but the mother, 91 years old, she wanted to sing. She wanted to sing. And she sang, forgive me. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we shall see it afar, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dancing place there. She changed dwelling place to dancing place. That's not bad theology. Anybody can dwell. But ours is a faith that enables us to dance one day. Yes, even Baptists one day can dance. So kids playing baseball and 91-year-old ladies singing can understand better perhaps the joy of heaven than most of us can who have become old and wise and know it all and just kind of go through the grind of every day trying to get by. That's a sad way to live when we've got so much to look forward to because God's with us even now. He came and he gave us something to do. He gave us a ministry that Jesus began. He gave us someone to help because he knew what he called us to do. We couldn't do on our own. If we try, we fail, so most of the time we just don't try. And he gave us something to look forward to. He gave us heaven. And he said, if I go, I'll prepare a place. So one day, I will receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Something to look forward to. I hope you have that joy in your life today. I hope the Holy Spirit is evident in your life today. If not, you're missing out on what God has left you to enjoy. It's like a gift that you have left unopened under the Christmas tree. How silly is that? Open it and enjoy the Spirit. Continue the ministry that Jesus began. Let the Spirit flow through you and use you to do things you can't do by yourself and give you the joy of anticipating heaven one day. Let's bow. Father, we just pause to thank you for sending Jesus to live among us for 30 years and for three years to minister and to show us what we should be about in the few years you've given us here on earth. What's, what's 60 or 80 or 100 years compared to eternity? God, one day we're going to get to heaven if, if we know you as Lord and Savior. We're going to look back at all the time we squandered and wasted because we could have believed so much more and done so much more and anticipated so much more and not let the problems and cares and worries and anxieties and concerns of this life weigh us down. That's got to be Satan's greatest tool to rob us of the joy that your spirit dwelling in us can provide. Help us be faithful in what you've called us to do. 
knowing that when you call us, when you challenge us, that you're just waiting for us to take a step of faith and believe. And when we do that, your spirit will flow through us and and make possible what looks impossible to us. And Father, help us to just look forward to heaven. Not be in a hurry, but be ready. Always ready. Because we've taken care of business here and we've been faithful here. And we have loved you and served our neighbor here. Help us do that in such a way that will draw all men unto you as we hold you high the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.